hello and welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. Frank's most famous victory advantage for Arsenal. The top two don't dare blink, plus much more. As today, joining me, Matt Froelich and Dan Burke. Hello. And Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Uh, we're going to start from the bottom. Not in a homage to Drake, but just because that's where the most interesting action is to be found in today's Premier League podcast. Uh, Frank Lampard oversaw an Everton victory against his former club for three vital points in the struggle for survival. How has this happened? I feel like I ask this every time they win. Um, what did they do that they didn't do over the course of the rest of the year, Dan? Well, I think uh, the uh, the pre-match um, fervent atmosphere around Goodison Park when they, they greeted the, the team bus probably helped uh, drive the players on a little bit. I think this was a, a dogged performance from Everton. They look like they're really battling. They are not going down without a fight. And... Um, must have to consider consider themselves in pretty good position now, having got this got this victory. It's suddenly looking an awful lot rosier for them. I th- thought the it wasn't an incredible foot performance from them, but they took the goal well. Um, Richarlison and and Demare Gray combining to to capitalise on that mistake from Cesar Aspiliqueta, and uh, and then they just sat on the the lead then and were able to to defend it. They didn't have a lot of the ball. They were reliant on Jordan Pick making a couple of incredible saves as well but uh yeah uh, a great win for them a really really good result and uh suddenly things are looking a lot better i was going to say some people were saying that was the best save in premier league history the one where he <laughs> scrambled across his goal line i'm, I'm not having it I'm, I was, it, was, I was, it was it was a bit, i mean people are saying save of the season as well but I, I can't really recall any better but then i can't really recall any other saves so you, you, you know what i don't like is when they say a, a, like one of the best saves is just a fingertip one where you barely see it i'm like no i i, I want to see someone make a full-on save like that pick for one i'm just not <laughs> sure it's the greatest ever i was thinking of the david seymour one but i realized that's fa cup wasn't it yeah yep ah oh, that doesn't count too bad lewis um <laughs> as for everton though I I wonder what would happen if at the beginning of last season you would have said to Everton fans, trust me, you're going to want to be aware of the result between Watford and Burnley. You're going to want to keep a keen eye on that game because it seems like quite possibly the most irrelevant match, but they obviously were pretty clued up as to, as to Burnley winning. And now it's two points behind, I believe, with two games in hand. Uh, one game in hand, I think. Yeah. One game in hand one now, yeah. Hand. But um, yeah, nice. it's looking... It's looking Worrying for Leeds above all else now, isn't it? I think they're, they're yeah. probably the favourites to go down now. It, it is looking rather worrying, especially as they have a, a tough couple of games. Although, one of their next two games is against Chelsea, who themselves uh, are in pretty bad form, obviously after this one, they'll defeat to Everton. Lewis, if Tuchel loses the FA Cup final, that'll be a pretty poor end to the season. It will see them finish third and sort of in a bit of a no-man's land in third. Way off the title chasers, obviously dropping out of the Champions League as well. Will there be calls for his sacking or the new owners will sort of see this as a point to start afresh? I'd, I'd be very, very surprised. The guy won the Champions League a year ago and they're <laughs> in an FA Cup final. So I'd be amazed. If... This is Chelsea we're talking about. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's a, I guess it's a Chelsea. We don't know what the what the club looks like, I guess, over whoever the new owner is and how you move on from the Abramovich era. I'd, like, I don't think they've they've got three home games left, I think, in the last four games of the season. I don't think they're in danger of like dropping out the top four. I think if that no. were to happen, then maybe you're having some sort of discussion. But given that Arsenal and Spurs would both have to pick up enough points to finish above Chelsea for that to happen and both still play each other, that seems uh, hard to imagine. So otherwise... No, I'd, I would be absolutely stunned if we were talking about Thomas Suchel's future a couple of weeks from now. 
Yeah, I feel like maybe maybe under Abramovich it might have been a little bit different. I don't know. The new the new people could be absolutely ruthless, but then again, there might also be a bit of a transfer embargo, and no one no manager would really want to take over on that. So it might make sense. Who could they re- realistically get that's better than him at this moment yeah. in time? Either. Yeah. Yeah, that's the big question. I would have I put it past. Like, there's him. no one obvious. I would have put it past him sacking Tuchel and then tempting Conte back just to annoy Spurs fans. <laughs> <laughs> that would be peak Chelsea. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, we'll move on from that game and to uh, Watford against Burnley. Like I mentioned earlier, these three points were all the more important as Burnley's late show saw them turn it around at Vicarage Road to pick up the win. Um, what surprised me most about this game was that Watford actually made it to like around the 80th minute before imploding. They usually do it much <laughs> earlier on. They Honestly, that, that defence looks ready to hit that self-destruct button so frequently. Um, was this a team playing like they know relegation is coming around the corner, Dan? I think so, yeah. They are as good as relegated at this point, aren't they? They're not quite down yet, uh, unfortunately. At Norwich, uh, that fate befell them yeah. this weekend. But but yeah, they've been, they've been poor for a number of weeks. Watford, it's been a very strange season for them again in which they've not know whether they're coming or going you know they've, they've sacked two managers they've got Roy Hodgson who was on the bench in his uh, his sunglasses looking like a, a Bond villain at the weekend you don't I saw them <laughs> you the, don't the see Hodge, managers wearing Hodge sunglasses father, I thought <laughs> yeah there you go yeah they, they looked you prescription don't... sorry Roy <laughs> you don't see managers wearing sunglasses very often in, in England do you but uh, there he was bit of a nod to his uh, his days in Italy uh, but yeah, unfortunately, that that, uh, that that sharp look from Roy couldn't inspire them. And uh, despite going 1-0 up, they were... And, and still looking like they might win the game into the last few minutes. They uh, they conceded, what, two goals in three minutes, wasn't it? And uh, and lost. And yep, they are uh, pretty much down now. So it's just, uh, just the one place left to be sealed in the, the relegation battle. I think they should probably be thankful that the likes of Norwich and Fulham consistently do worse than them when they come into the Premier League. Otherwise, Watford <laughs> would be the ones, you know, bearing the... The brute force of everyone saying, oh, why do they just never make a go of it? Poor signings. Everyone <laughs> yeah. sort of uh, angles that at Norwich, which I will be doing later on. Uh, but for now, though, Burnley, have they been this good all along? Could they have been European contenders in the past few years? Now that they're released from the shackles <laughs> of Sean Dyche. Title um, contenders, are, never mind Europe. Yeah, are they actually quite a good team, <laughs> Lewis? Or am I overstating their ability somewhat? I think... I think they're a team that just about stays in the Premier League every year, and that's <laughs> that's it. That's sort of it. Like there, there's there's a margin for error where maybe they have a bad year and they go down, or maybe they have a great year and they finish like eleventh or twelfth. <laughs> and yeah, I think after I don't think it's anything like against Sean Dyche, but just after such a long time in charge, I, there are going to be things that grow stale, and you know you, the message not getting across or find not being able to find new ways to say the same things again year on year. And obviously, the, the change has done a lot of good for a lot of the players there in the last few games. Yeah, I, like they've they've obviously got the points got over the line now, it looks like. Um, yeah, as Dan said, I think Leeds are definitely the team that will be looking their shoulder with Everton winning this weekend. And Burnley, you start to think, are probably safe now. So, um, like, massive credit to, to them and to Michael Jackson as well for turning things around so, so quickly. But I don't think it's... I think after all the years that Sean Dyche did such a great job keeping them in the league, I don't think it's anything about his ability as a manager. Just maybe a fresh face was needed at some point. Mm. I'm going to avoid the temptation to make a Michael Jackson pun, but I get the feeling <laughs> Dan would have a good joke or two on this. There must have been he's, something. Uh, he's, been, he's been looking at the man in the mirror, hasn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, do you reckon he... 
He, do you reckon he's dropped the Michael Jackson because he sort of he sort of goes as Mike Jackson, doesn't he? Do you reckon? Yeah. In light of recent recent of allegations, yeah. Yeah. He, he calls himself Mike. Yeah. Maybe he's you would, wouldn't you? I guess. Sick and tired yeah. of all those like stupid jokes. Not Probably, not yeah. so recent allegations, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. He's been Mike for a while. Um, <laughs> next up, we go to uh, East London, actually, to West Ham against Arsenal. Lewis, I know you'll be dying to talk about this game. Uh, Arsenal overcame what could have been a tricky away London derby. Does this allude to their mentally stronger, uh, well, a mentally stronger Arsenal squad than we've seen in recent years? I thought their game management was actually pretty good, even when they um, they prolonged the scrap with Nketiah at the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I found that very strange, by the way, that West Ham were running down the clock for themselves to get an equaliser. Yeah, I was thinking, Cresswell, what are you doing? Just get on with the game. Yeah, he wants and then Declan Rice came over yeah. and got involved as well. And it's like, well, lads, you've got a free kick and you've got about a minute to score an equaliser. <laughs> yeah. So how about focus on getting the ball forward? Um, it was very strange. Yeah, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always a bit torn when we talk about mentality. I don't think Arsenal would there's much of a different mentality. Arsenal were 3-0 down and drew drew at West Ham and rescued a point last season. Um, I, I just think Arsenal are better than they were a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. It's just a better Arsenal side, a team with more quality in it and think that they believe in themselves a little bit more because of that. You're going to back yourself to pick up more results the the more quality that you have and the better you're playing. And I really think it's sort of typical this is just an Arsenal side that's quite confident and, and quite bullish at the moment because they're playing well and they're getting results. And I think as well, when we like we talk about mentality and it feels like thing changes from week to week. Arsenal just lost to Crystal Palace, Brighton and Southampton. And everyone was saying, oh, they've got, look, they've got in pole position for the race for fourth. And now the pressure's on and then they've thrown it away. They can't handle it. And then they've beaten Chelsea and Man United and West Ham. So we're obviously going to talk about being mentally strong. It's like, but it's still the exact same group of players that it was when they lost to Palace, Brighton and yeah. Southampton a couple of weeks ago. So I don't think there's some sort of extra mental resolve thanks to those defeats that they've gained over the past month. I think, you know, sometimes the ball bounces for you. And when you... When you play a tough away game and score a couple of handy set piece goals, then it just feels like it's one of the one of those days that go in your favour, especially when Aaron Ramsdale doesn't get sent off. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like uh, Rob Holding doesn't score that without that luscious new hair. <laughs> I think old, you, old Rob Holding, it slides off elsewhere. Did you see Ramsdale on Sky after the game? They they said it was Rob Holding's first Premier League goal and Ramsdale was stood next to him and just laughed and said it only took six years and a new hairline. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even see that. That's amazing. Uh, actually, what did you think of the, uh, the potential red card? Because there was a lot of people saying that there doesn't need to be contact for it to be a foul. It can just be intent. Uh, me, I thought that Aaron Ramsdale was very lucky. And if there was any sort of contact, then it then he would have been sent off. Mm. Um but I yeah, I thought he was he was quite lucky the way he came charging out to to not make contact and to not get sent off. I could only assume that with all the VAR and cameras and whatnot, that there obviously wasn't any contact, that they've reviewed it and you know. Yeah, it didn't look it, like it, like on the replay, but then I guess that is the question, like should that matter, basically? Yeah, the the intent the intent's there to take him out, basically, and the fact that you didn't touch him can't then go in your favour. Yeah, I, I thought I don't know. Dan's obviously the neutral here, but I thought he was quite fortunate <laughs> to, to not be sent off. Yeah, I, I'd 
I'd agree with that, to be honest. I, th- I don't like to see players getting sent off a lot, but it was. Uh, I think he was a bit lucky there. I think he's very enthusiastic, isn't he, Ramsdale? Sometimes he's perhaps a little too enthusiastic, and that's something he needs to uh, work on as he uh, as he gets a gets a bit more mature. Uh, but even with the excuse yeah. of one eye on the uh, UEFA Europa League semi-finals, did West Ham look a little bit tired, Dan? Moyes hinted before the game it was about finding a balance, which they couldn't do with such a thin squad. Obviously, they had Cresswell at centre back, which wasn't ideal as well. Yeah, I, th- I think they've been. You know, they've been punching above the weight for a couple of years now, West Ham, and I think Moyes relies on the same players for most games. They don't have a particularly deep squad. He can't make an awful lot of changes. Uh, he tried it a bit in this game and left a few few of the big guns on the bench, like Suchek, Antonio, um, players who will be he'll be, be relying on in, in the Europa League in midweek. And yeah, I think the season's just caught up with them a little bit, um, as, it, as it always does with teams who have to play Thursday, Sunday all the time, you know, whether you're... Man United or West Ham United, it's it's kind of the same. The demands are the same and, and teams always seem to struggle with it a little bit. And I think West Ham have done right to kind of prioritise the Europa League in in, um, in recent weeks and, and good luck to them on, on Thursday. I, I'll be hoping they, they get through, especially because City play them away towards the end of the season, which is like three days before the Europa League final. I'm kind of thinking he's going to have to rest players for the Europa League final when they play City, if that's the case, isn't it? So um, I'm kind of hoping that they'll uh, they'll be in that one. I would find it absolutely bizarre if West Ham won it to see them in the Champions League. Nothing against <laughs> them. It would just, it would just, yeah, it would just really kind of blow my mind. Um, <laughs> as for one of their star players, though, Jared Bowen did start the game. Does his future lie in East London, Lewis, or is a big move on the way? I wonder if I think Jared, Jared Bowen's great, but I wonder if he's in that sort of in-between area, like the the Wilfred Zahar zone, where more valuable to West Ham than he will be to the club if you know what I mean like West Ham would want an enormous fee to him I don't I think he could play I think he's good enough to play for a big club don't think anyone's going to go and spend like 80 90 million on him and I feel like West Ham won't go unless some bid like that big came in of course, Arsenal jumped back over Spurs into fourth, who had won 3-1 earlier in the day against Leicester. Again, I felt much like West Ham, that the lineup, the performance suggested they had bigger fish to fry with their UEFA Europa Conference League second leg semi-final against Roma. Um, down for Leicester, was it a case of you can't keep a good man, or in this case, men down, in terms of stopping Kane and Son for scoring for the third game in a row? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's always difficult to stop those two, isn't it? And Spurs obviously have ambitions of getting in the top four and are really going for that now. So it was always uh, weighted in, in Tottenham's favour this game a little bit, I think. But I think it was a poor performance from Leicester of one of many poor, poor performances we've seen from in, in the league this season. And again, a bit like West Ham, they're obviously prioritising the Conference League now. But Brendan Rodgers was coming out after the yesterday and saying that there's a, a lack of aggression in the squad. They're going to look at over them and maybe address that into, you know, getting rid of some players, bringing some new players in, or just working with the players that they've got. And I think it's damning when you manage that you lack aggression. And I think there is, they, they have come to a bit of a, a sort of fork in the road with this this project under the they they either sort of persist with with him and, and this group of players and go down again, you know, maybe have another season of mediocrity next year, or they, they shake things up a bit this summer and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe look for a new manager, maybe look for some new players and, and get rid of some of the players who aren't performing and uh, and and try and get back on track next year. Uh, you know, if if they win the Conference League, they'll, they'll be back in Europe, but that's their only chance of doing so now, which is a bit of a shame because let you know of found some great times in, in recent years. I think the, uh, the anniversary today of them winning the Premier League, um, 
very recent history of theirs has been very good. Uh, it's, it's been a disappointing season overall for them, and especially that uh, second goal, Soyuncu bottling out the challenge with uh, with Romero, Romero and yeah. staying down on the floor, and yeah, and you know stuff like that. You can't have a big graph of uh, pulling out of challenges like that. Be got to be winning the ball. Um, I mean, Romero was a scary player to play against, I'm sure, but. Uh, yeah, the, the, I think that's probably the probably the point that that Rogers was referring to when he said there's a bit of a lack of aggression in this team. Um, as for Spurs, given the Conte rumours recently, uh, Lewis, this is going to really test your bias and the professionalism here. Um, <laughs> is it arguably bigger for Spurs to get top four than it is for Arsenal? The reason being, I don't <laughs> think I don't think Arsenal have a manager like Conte or a star player like Kane to lose if they don't make it. I mean, arguably, I think you could argue both sides of that. I think, you know, for Arsenal, it's been five years without being in Champions League now, an entire season without any Europe this season. And I think it depends what you think Arsenal's ambitions are as well. I think I think that Arsenal's ambitions are to look at what Liverpool are doing and think that that shouldn't be impossible. And to try and be there mm. a couple of years from now, the youngest team in the league this season, to try and compete or get close to competing for, for titles again. I think that accelerates massively if you're in the Champions League and all the money that comes with it. So if we, you know, we're talking about Arsenal with Alex Lacazette with two non-penalty goals all season and, and Eddie and Ketcher with the same amount playing as the striker for the whole second half of this season, chasing top four. The finishing fourth might be the difference between a world-class striker and, you know, maybe somebody that scores 10 goals next season playing up front. So I think it's massive for both clubs, but for different reasons. Spurs, obviously, you've got the situation where, yeah, maybe Conte leaves. Kane and Son is a bigger thing for me. And Tottenham have had them at their peaks and not won any. And the only way that, that changes is probably over the next couple of years, you'd think. I don't we need to say that it's like a disaster for either club to not make it this season, but for different reasons, I think it's massive for each of them. Well, aside from the top four race, there's also the title race going on. Um, I think it only seems to be interesting when they play each other, these two, because they just keep on winning. I'm sure fans <laughs> of Liverpool and City are going to disagree, but over the 180 minutes of action between the two, was either set of fans ever worried about the result? Maybe, maybe you, Dan. Maybe you'll be a little bit pessimistic. But we'll start with, we'll start with Liverpool Saturday lunchtime victory over Newcastle. I know it is very cliche, but these are the sort of games that champions win, Dan. Tough one nil away games when they're not at their best. <laughs> well, I hope for my sake that uh, this is not the sort of uh, games that turn Liverpool into being champions anyway, because. Uh... <laughs> I'd like, I'd like to think these, these are the, the kind of games that runners up win. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's a massive cliche, isn't it? But uh, people say that all the time. And I mean, I thought I thought Liverpool were, were really good here, actually. This was one game that I was looking at of, of theirs as, as a tough game where maybe they might drop some points. In fact, I kind of convinced myself that they were going to drop points and ended up <laughs> really disappointed when, when they went 1-0 up. But um, I thought it was, it was really striking, the difference between the two sides. You know, we've seen Newcastle performing really well under Eddie Howe. They were on a six-match winning streak before this game at St. James's Park, which was, you know, why I was hoping for for something from them. But you see how strong Liverpool are compared to them. And, and Liverpool rested a few players and a few eyebrows were raised about that, about them leaving Salah, Fabinho, Thiago and uh, and Trent Alexander-Arnold on the bench before the game. But they've got such an incredible squad, Liverpool. They've got the best squad in the league this season, I think. And 
they really it was really men against boys at time in this at times in this game and, and it showed how far Newcastle have got to go how high the bar is for them to reach the level of, of the Liverpools and cities of this world I think there's, there's a long way to go for them and it was a bit of a reality check for them which is fine because you know it's still very early days in the project but yeah I thought Liverpool were outstanding they just controlled the game from start to finish probably should have had a couple more goals and they're keeping the pressure on City and uh, it's 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 like both teams are walking a tightrope, but I don't know. What, I don't know how um, entertaining it is for neutral fans, but for City and Liverpool fans, I can tell you it's it's nerve wracking as hell. Um, especially when you have a situation whereby Liverpool win first, they go top of the league. You've then got a win to go back at the top of the league. It's um, it's not enjoyable. I feel a sense of relief at the end of games more than enjoyment at the moment. But uh, you know, long may it continue until the end of the season. I hope. It's a tough one. Although you, Manchester City were. Uh... A little bit more convincing, I think, in their fixture. You know what else is funny as well? You know, you know, you say, oh, you look at the Newcastle game and think, oh, Liverpool could drop points here. I see this on Twitter a lot from, from random fans who always seem to think, they always apply the old adage of anything can happen in football, it's 11 against 11 in 90 <laughs> minutes, to their rivals, but never to their own team. I saw Liverpool <laughs> fans going, oh, you never know, Leeds could turn up, blah, 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 you know, anything oh, that's can happen not in true. football. That's not true. I'm sure, I'm sure Dan was wor- telling himself that Leeds had a great chance of oh, no, Honestly, I've... 100%. I, I, on Saturday. I, I, I was shitting myself during that game. Until we, were, until we went 1-0 up and then I calmed down a little bit. But even then, it was only when it got to like 2-3-0, I was like, okay, this is, we've won but this now. I, I swear like, to God, on my timeline, I see Liverpool fans going, they could slip up. And I'm thinking, yeah, but then so could you. If it's football, it's football. Oh, yeah. There seems I'm to be sure an they, air, air of Maybe belief. they're not... Maybe they're not telling everyone on Twitter, but I'm sure they're worried when, when, when Liverpool kick off that they might not win that day. They're, they're, I'm sure they were all worried a week ago when they were still 0-0 at half-time against Everton. They're typing yeah. behind finger-bitten nails. Um, <laughs> am I right in saying James Milner's tackle, though, was absolutely fine, Lewis? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Let's move on. I, I really that, have no idea the people complaining after so many replays. That was bizarre. Um, what about Sadio Mane, though? Was he lucky to stay on the pitch? That challenge on Dubravka? Uh, I I think that I don't really think there was much there. I think Sadio Mane is a player who leaves his foot in or sometimes his arm in a little bit too often on players and I don't know, lets him know lets them know that they, that he's there and that sort of those sort of challenges. But I don't really think there was that much. I don't know how deliberate that was, and I definitely don't think you could prove that that was deliberate um, on Dubravka. So I wouldn't say so. And in terms of the title race, by the way, Dan, I'd just say it's as, as someone from the outside. It this it was the same a couple of years ago when it was you in Liverpool, wasn't it? Or three years ago now, and you both yeah. just won every single game. And yeah, as a neutral, like I guess. That you just want you want Liverpool to lose at Newcastle, and then on the same day City go and drop points against Leeds and don't take advantage. <laughs> yeah. There is not that that jeopardy that makes it more exciting in a way that is obviously lacking because these are so so good. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just want I, a tiny I, bit it of breathing space. Make it less tense for you. Yeah, yeah. Like it definitely it definitely doesn't make it less nerve wracking for everybody involved in it. But I think for everybody else outside, it's just that little bit less exciting. Like sort of the jeopardy doesn't quite the same way. Yeah. It's just going to win every single week. I'm, you're going to have to win next weekend, Man City, Dan, because uh, Liverpool have got Spurs at home. So that's a guaranteed three points to Klopp's side with probably a three. Is, is it though? Is it though, Mark? Everyone's I, saying I'm this. Talking, and I'm thinking maybe Spurs will get something. Yeah. 
Matt, know. didn't Spurs take six points off Man City this season, though? Yeah, every, uh, we've taken loads of points off Man City <laughs> in the last few years. An absolute zilch off of Liverpool. <laughs> well, it, that's got to end sometime, hasn't you it? Drew, you drew them earlier in the season. Yeah, that was quite that was quite a fortunate match. But I really... Uh, oh, away Matt, at Anfield, Spurs' Spurs's record away at Anfield is abysmal, and that's putting it kindly. You'd think Spurs were 15th for the way that you're talking, though. I know, yeah. No, but the way they perform at Anfield. But anyway, we'll wait and see. We'll, we'll reconvene next Monday and we'll see if I'm proven right. I shouldn't be so negative against my own team, but God, we've seen some shockers at Anfield. Anyway, enough about that for this week. Let's move on to Wolves against Brighton, who were not at the beach despite their geographical location because they were at Molyneux. Playing like moving into ninth meant the absolute world to them. And uh, I think they were brilliant against a poor Wolves side. Lewis, Alex McCall- Alexis McAllister scored the second of his two first half penalties. Uh, it was a pretty ballsy move to go the same way as the first one when he missed it, wasn't it? This is always something that I feel like I'd, I would never be able to decide what to do. Absolutely if I was not. In that situation. <laughs> like, I feel like both options to go the same way or to go the other way. I feel like both of them are horrible, horrible choices <laughs> and you'll regret it if you miss. So I like hats off to any player, to be honest, just any player who misses a penalty and then steps up to take the second one in the same game. Um, yeah. I think I feel like going the same way is probably the gutsier move. So yeah, absolutely fair play to him. Who was it? There wasn't there a player who missed three penalties in a game for Argentina. It was a left footed and he used to absolutely twat the ball. And I can't remember who it is. Martin Palermo, that was it. Oh, I stepped up and missed three penalties in a game. Not tell ideal. Me, please <laughs> tell me he didn't go the same way all three he, times. He well. absolutely <laughs> hammered it. And I think two of them went over and one of them hit the bar or something like that. <laughs> like he just, there was no mercy showed against that football and he missed all three. That was a long time ago. Anyway, two damning stats against Wolves though, who were utterly shocking. Um, no side has a lower top scorer in the league. Raul Jimenez has got six. Um, they find themselves in eighth place, yet the only three teams to score less than them are Norwich, Watford and Burnley. Um, any strikers off the top of your head, Dan, who you think Wolves should be chasing? Well, I don't know really because I had a I had a quick look at the uh, the XG table before, and not only are Wolves very low scoring this season, they actually have the second worst XG. Uh, Orich have a worse one, so it's a creative which suggests problem. That maybe the, the the yeah, the strikers are the problem. They're not creating enough chance for the strikers. I mean, you think that uh, that Raúl Jiménez uh, would be would be scoring a hatful in any team, really. Um, it's just not not happening for them this season. They've done okay, Wolves, haven't they? They've had a pretty good season overall, I think you would say. Um, nothing too spectacular. I don't know who they would bring in in the summer in terms of strikers that would really improve things. I think they need to work on some more creative players. And then the fact that Ruben Neves looks to be leaving this summer is, is a problem for them, I guess. Um, it's interesting how much money they have to spend in the summer and, and who they can bring in because income uh, needs, needs a bit of, uh, bit of touching up because... Okay. enough goals they're just not creating enough chances you've raised an interesting question there Dan how many goals is a hatful hatful um, good question yeah um, what would you say how big's your hat yeah <laughs> you've thrown me there yeah yeah I've, I've thrown you off balance. <laughs> I think a hatful 
Oh, well, mate. For, for Jimenez, it'd be a sombrero, wouldn't it? So, yeah, that's <laughs> a big hat. Full. Um, a hat falls at least 15. No, maybe 20. A hat falls sounds like a lot. <laughs> that is the ultimate question to be answered. Uh, yeah, you can tweet us. Tweet us at OneFootball if you've got the answer to how many goals a hatful is. Next up to St Mary's then, where Southampton lost 2-1 at home to Crystal Palace. They've got one win in the last 10 uh, with just eight goals scored. And Brozier got a lot of the brunt from Hasenhutl after the game. Um, I know he hasn't scored in his last 11 Premier League games, Lewis, but should the pressure be on a 20-year-old low knee or should the club have done more to bring in an experienced goal scorer? Yeah, I, I agree. It shouldn't. I feel like every year, maybe it's a bit different with the new owners for next season, but every year, I think Southampton have go, they go through spells of either being pretty good or being really poor. And it happens like three or four different spells per season. And when they're really poor, they're terrible. And when they're pretty good, they do pick up quite a few points. But they're just, as you say, relying on, on a kid and Che Adams up front to score goals. A kid who almost definitely won't be there next season. I think Brozier is a really good player, but every year this sort of thing is happening with Southampton. So I think you sort of, I find it hard because I don't really know who to blame. I just, I just don't think I've said it on here before. I just don't think the squad is very good. I don't think they create enough chances. And I don't, I think Hasenhut was sort of getting the most that you could possibly ask him to get out of most of the players. And this is just where they are. I think James or Prowse finds himself in that, what did you call it? The Zahar field, the Zahar area. <laughs> he seems vitally important to them and is sort of the Southampton poster boy. But then he'd be a bit part player at someone like City. There was, some, there was some chat over the weekend that he, um, that United and City might be interested in him and, and Southampton would want 75 million for him. Which exactly. Like he's probably worth that money. to Southampton. Yeah. But that seems mm. very excessive. Although having a set piece master could probably help, like you know, get those extra goals, <laughs> extra points a season. An unbelievable free kick he takes. Uh, he actually got an assist for this one, and I thought Crystal Palace looked really, really good as well, especially towards the closing stages. Are we looking, Dan, at that sort of attacking midfield three as a real threat from next season? The more they play, like um, you take Zahar, Eberechieze, and Michael Olise when they're fully fit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zahar, it seems unlikely that he's, he's ever going to leave Crystal Palace yeah. now, doesn't it? After after angling for a move away for such a long time. And uh, and Eze, I think he'd been out injured for a lot this season. He's had quite a, quite a tough season. It was uh, it was good to see him back and, and back in the back on the score sheet. And, and at least he looks like a, like a cracking player. So, yeah, they've got a, a really good core of, of kind of youngish players uh, combined with some experienced players at Palace. Vieira has done a, a pretty good job this year, but not quite as good a job as I think a lot of people have said at times. I think if you actually look at the number of games they've won, the amount of points they've got, it's, it's actually not that spectacular at all, really. And I think more will be expected of him next season to build on this. It's been um, it's been probably better than expectations, given that a lot of people were, were writing him off before he'd even take a charge and saying he was going to be the next Frank De Boer and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think it's been it's been okay, but yeah, they, they'll be a bit more expected of them, and, and definitely that that uh, that. Those young players up front are going to be going to be part of that, um, and who knows? Maybe they'll be able to get Conor Gallagher back next season, but that seems pretty unlikely, and he's been pretty pretty important for them, hasn't he? Yeah, I saw someone actually put it side by side um, Vieira this season to Hodgson last season, and it's pretty much identical. Yeah. There's just sort of no actual progress in the stats, which I feel is a little bit harsh considering what did they, they release up like fourteen players last summer? Yeah, yeah. like. The- They've done a lot of yeah. work, haven't they? Like in terms of moving on to a new team and a new, I guess, a younger team as well. Mm. Um, 
I think you have to give him credit for that, at least. Like, it's a brand new team, pretty much, that they're putting together. Yeah. And it's not just, yeah, maybe not as simple as saying, oh, but the results have have been, have been not improved if they're still making progress in uh, other, sort of other areas. Yeah, only nine wins all season for, for Palace and Southampton, which is not, not great, really, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll file that under the not good enough line. Uh, <laughs> next up, we'll move to Aston Villa against Norwich. Like you mentioned earlier, Dan, this was Norwich's, uh, I was going to call it a relegation party, but mm. maybe not quite a party. Rele- relegation, <laughs> relegation day. Funeral. Yeah, relegation funeral, maybe. <laughs> um, but they were beaten 2-0 by Aston Villa. Lewis Villa have lost half of their games this season. Only the bottom three have lost more. Um, are you expecting some heavy defensive recruitment in the summer? There's been a lot of questions over Tyrone Mings recently as well. If defensive recruitment and offensive recruitment as well, maybe. I think it's not many players that you're looking at thinking, oh yeah, they might get you a goal when you watch Aston Villa. Like Danny Ings hasn't had... A particularly good season. Ollie Watkins hasn't had a particularly good season, so I think pretty much all over the pitch, you're going to be looking for players to to come in and and add something that Villa have clearly been missing this year. Mm. And if not, then we saw Dean Smith lose his job. I don't really think Steven Gerrard's improved them that much. And I imagine this time, you know, when we get to Christmas time, if they've not played any better than they have played under him so far, then we might be talking about his future a little bit. I tell you, one player I'm excited about is Jacob Ramsey. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's seriously yeah. good. He could definitely improve the Sesson Villa side. Um, they did condemn their former manager, Dean Smith, to relegation. I feel like we're shitting on Norwich a bit here. And it seems to happen every podcast episode. But I wanted to explore what I think is their problem with with attracting players, Dan. Um <laughs> Is is there an attraction issue? Is there a, a transfer stigma against them? Because I was trying to put this together in my head, thinking of how you'd you know go about offering a player a deal. Norfolk is miles <laughs> away from anywhere. It's not a major it's... city with with a top flight rival, and you know the sort of the lifestyle of a, of a Manchester or London. The stadium and facilities don't scream massive club. The squad isn't full of attractive names. The history isn't anything. It's, anything to shout about is it easier to look elsewhere if you're a young up-and-coming player <laughs> i mean you could say that about 90 percent of the clubs in england though couldn't you really like it's not it's not a fashionable part of the country despite alan partridge's best attempts yeah. to put it on the map and you know I'm, I'm sure it's a lovely part of the world east anglia but yeah you're not going to get people choosing norwich over paris or madrid but, 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 are you, that, or that's what i mean i think it's a very nice part of the world just not yeah. if you were trying to attract a foreign player the, the best thing you could say is that <laughs> it's a short train ride to london there was <laughs> there was a long athletic article about this about norwich's sort of failed season i guess um was it yesterday i think it was it was uh it was published, and I read that this morning. And they, there was a couple of players mentioned, including Christian Eriksen and Gary Cahill too, who apparently Norwich tried to sign or held talks with, but both of them preferred to to go to or stay in London. And yeah, I guess you're not, you're just not quite close enough. When there are so many London clubs in the league, mm. then you go to sort of Everton and Liverpool, and Manchester, and Manchester, uh, Manchester United, and Manchester City, and all the other clubs, like if you were to say sign for Burnley, like you're not that far from those a couple of those cities. Or if you were to sign for Brighton or Southampton, you're not that far from London. 
Um, but while still living in, in a fairly nice place, uh, not that Norwich is, is a horrible place or anything, but I do think there is definitely something to that, Matt, that maybe players who could sign for Norwich prefer to sign for Crystal Palace or Brentford instead, just because of that proximity to the capital. Yeah, and I, I think as well that we talk about the history. It's obviously very different for foreign players as well, because I think if you're if you're from that country, wherever you play your football, you'll probably find you'll find the niche of playing for a for a club in. I don't want to say a lesser area because, like I mentioned before, some nice places in East Anglia. But imagine in the Bundes, if you were a German playing in the Bundesliga and trying to explain the niche of playing for Freiburg or Armenia and sort of the history of stuff like this, it must be so difficult to convince them for for other players. Um, Imagine Emi Buendia growing up in Argentina and being like, one day I'm going to make it to Norfolk. (laughs) Like it just doesn't... (laughs) Unless he's a big Partridge fan, I can't see it happening. I th- most non-native speakers probably can't even pronounce Norwich, so you know, I don't, I don't want to shit on them too much. Are you saying that there is a there is a correlation between good teams coming from sort of fashionable, more fashionable parts of the world? I, I look, generally speaking, there's obviously. I think you're. I think you're probably right. If if so, mm-hmm. there's obviously a sort of. Um, let's not beat around the bush there's a money influence behind it right Uh, a big city Mm. attracts you know big names and other famous people in your social circles and the parties and the lifestyle if you're into that as a footballer the nice areas to live um the the nice experiences of being in in a capital city in any country and I think there is a big part to play in it I don't I wouldn't necessarily say that a, a club is doomed just because they're not in the most fashionable area but I think you definitely hear about it a lot in transfers. Players saying, I want to stay in London or I want to move to, you know, an unbelievable city and, you know, Paris was a big sway for me or Milan or anything like that. I think, I think you'll find there probably is something, is, is something to it. Mm. But that's me hazarding a, a guess about it. Uh, that was the nine Premier League games that were played over the weekend. The final one is tonight, Monday night. This is Monday afternoon now. Manchester United host Brentford. Um, how many is Cristiano Ronaldo going to score, Dan? How many? Uh, seven. <laughs> That's a hatful for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he could be, I think it was the first player to score a hat-trick of hat-tricks in home games. Oh, I... Something like that, I believe. Um, you think United are going to win? Brentford on the beach? Who who knows, really? Um, they're a bit of a t- tough one to predict, aren't they, United, at the best, best of times? Um particularly at the moment. I think there's going to be some fan protests around the stadium again tonight and um, some uh, fan walkout towards the end of the game as well. Apparently, they're still going to do a uh, um, lap of honour at the end of the game, which would be quite interesting if there's nobody there. Um, I'm sure not everybody will walk out. But yeah, both teams who are you know pretty much just playing for nothing at the end of the season now, aren't they? United have... Uh, almost ruled themselves out of the top four race now and I can't see themselves getting back into it. Brentford are just uh, having a lovely time and just uh, enjoying being a Premier League club. So it's quite a tough game to call. It could go either way, really. I didn't realise this was their final home game of the season. Mm. This must be one of the earliest final home games ever. That's really bizarre. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Home to Brentford. They've got Brighton and Crystal Palace on the road after that. Uh, Lewis, what are your predictions? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say Brentford are necessarily on the beach. I think they've uh, the the freedom of staying up maybe has uh, has helped them the last couple of weeks. So they've had some really good results recently as well. Like Chelsea, they beat Chelsea, they beat West Ham, they drew with Spurs obviously last week. So 
I'd quite fancy Brentford to to go and cause a bit of a shock. If you can still call it a shock when Manchester United drop points, I don't think you can. <laughs> I think with Brentford, actually, your first year in the Premier League, the players will be so eager to play at like Old Trafford um, to just sort of play every minute. They're not really going to take it for granted. Like maybe a few other teams would. I don't know. I still yeah, think United are to them. They are. They are on a bit of a run. They've been playing well lately. So I think, I think it's like five wins from the last seven or eight games. So yeah, I'd uh, I'd back them to go and surprise a few people and enjoy their evening out at Old Trafford. Yeah, absolutely. Right, that's the last of the games. So we've got a few hot topics to move on to. I got two for you today. Um, one's sort of a vague idea that I've seen floating around and the other's rather a direct answer. And me, Lewis, we were discussing this a little bit earlier. Um, so I'll let Dan have first pick. Dan, what is the situation with Lukaku? Where do you think he's going to be playing his football next season? Because he does not look happy sat on that Chelsea bench. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't look happy. Um, Tuckle doesn't look happy with him, does he? So it's uh, it's looking likely that he'll be, he'll be off in the summer. Um, I fancy him to go back to Italy. Uh, there was some talk about AC Milan a few weeks ago, which uh, caught the eye. Um, there's been some rumours about Barcelona as well, haven't there? But I don't, I, I don't see that happening. I think that's just a case of Barcelona being Barcelona being with everyone under the sun because it sells uh, newspapers or or gets gets clicks on websites or whatever you call it these days. So me and Lewis were talking about Lukaku potentially going to Tottenham if they were to sell Harry Kane. Oh yeah, what do you make of that? If- if Antonio Conte is still in charge, especially, I don't think it's the wildest suggestion, to be honest. But who's who's going to buy Harry Kane now? Because City don't want him anymore, or I don't think they do anyway. And certainly, if they get Haaland, they're not yeah. going to get him. I don't think United are probably going to go for him anymore because I read today that they've been kind of priced out of it, really, and they've got other areas of the squad that they, they need to adjust uh, as a priority. So I don't really see how Harry Kane leaves Spurs at any point now. Yeah, that, that would have been my guess, by the way, Man United. If if I had to say, mm. if I had to say that Kane was going to go somewhere this summer, that's where I most easily imagine him uh, as as a marquee signing, as a big present, a Robinho sized present, like at Manchester <laughs> City. <laughs> I never forget when that happened. It was like it's a gift, and I was thinking that's a weird gift to buy someone. <laughs> yeah, I bought you a very expensive <laughs> Brazilian footballer. Uh, very strange. Anyway, the other one, the other idea that um, across my mind, I saw of people. F- few people debating this recently, especially with Pep Guardiola basically playing the whole season without a striker. Are the likes of Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp as well, who's in the front three of Mane, Diaz and Salah, is their trend of playing with attackers and not really a striker something that they're deciding to do or is it out of necessity? I I always remember um, there's this really cool clip on YouTube of Johan Cruyff uh, on... Dutch television talking about like a diamond and he says that he basically turns around and says like he's talking about the false nine pretty much and he basically says like if he if he as a manager had a world-class striker he'd play a striker and if he didn't have a world-class striker then he just wouldn't bother and he'd play two wingers and like a number 10 in a diamond false nine kind of thing and because of obviously because of Pep Guardiola doing it so often that's always stuck with me if it's that sort of mentality a little bit like well if you've not got a world-class number nine just use you know the world-class wingers and attacking midfielders that you've got instead maybe because I'm seeing it as a little bit more 
more of a trend that maybe it's just because wingers have got a bit different, but they seem to be the goal-scoring threat just isn't coming from the middle. Obviously, look, look at Manchester City, even to the point where Gabriel Jesus, for all intents and purposes, a striker, has been played out wide. Liverpool are playing with three wingers across their attacking area. Uh, West Ham have got Bowen, Antonio, Ben Rama, Fornals. Um, min Son's got 19 goals this season as a winger, like Salah and Mane. I just wonder if we're seeing actually more of a monumental shift than we have before. It seems that goals are coming from wider and strikers are dropping deeper. Maybe we're just not going to have... Maybe Haaland is the sort of... Um, the one carrying <laughs> the flag time, almost. Is it time to just get rid of the word striker or winger and just call everybody forwards yeah. from now on? Uh... Like, like Salah. Is Salah a winger? He doesn't That's chalk on his thing. boots. Like he's, he's just a forward, isn't he, I guess? He's just a awesome. forward who stays out wide and attacks rather than hangs between the width of the 18-yard box. Yeah. What's an inside forward? That's what I've always wondered. That used to be a big thing in the old days, didn't it, when like, my, my dad's I generation I think that was basically Mo Salah, wasn't it? Like, yeah. I just Googled wing, it and it says, yeah, a, a wide attacking forward who usually wing. plays as part of a, th- a front three. So there we go. Let's there bring go, that ball back. Yeah. We already have, I think, yeah. just now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, we, I, I think there was a, there was someone made a really, really good remark um, about how football sort of returns in cycles when it comes to tactics and formations, mm. and I think that True. some Austro-Hungarian style football of the nineteen twenties and uh, and previous sort of the two three five and the WM formation and stuff like that. You could probably see it in play today. I think maybe the likes of Klopp and Tuchel are just introducing a more fluid concept. That, that maybe us English fans are completely unaware of. <laughs> We're like, this is... Oh, we, sound this pretty is... Aware, we sound pretty aware of it, if you ask me. Mind-blowing. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we've caught on. Maybe we watch too much football, <laughs> if there is such thing. Uh, right, well, I'm glad I got your opinions on those. But that is all from us for this week. Of course, you can get involved as well by emailing us. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. That was all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests as always. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening. And we'll be back again next week. So see you then. I love you.